I'm fucking podcasting, dog. Don't scratchy scratch. Stop. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About Thrones, where we talk about the HBO show Game of Thrones and occasionally mention the books that they're based on, uh, the series of A Song of Ice and Fire. And this episode, we are going to be talking about episode one of season six called The Red Woman and episode two, Home. And with me, as always, Richard of uh, the Riverlands. Sure, that sounds good. How are you doing this morning? Yep, yep, yep. I am doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm awake, and that's as far as I can go with that. I'm glad I watched these episodes ahead of time. And, of course, we have with us uh, Sir Jenny of Tarth. That's right. <laughs> she, she's, uh, she's awake as well, so this is going to be good. Um, we... We had a, quite an episode last time with the sudden ending of Jon Snow, and Richard, you had some skepticism with that, and I'm glad to see that uh, that you, you feel vindicated now. <laughs> yeah, I, we're going to talk about that last, aren't we? Yeah, because probably. That's, that's kind of our, our big uh, conclusion. Okay, so in that case, let's go ahead and start at... Can we start at Dorne? Can we just get Dorne out of the way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People bite it. Yeah. Uh, Richard, how about you talk about Dorne and then we'll go on to the real show. Sure. This is really easy. The naive prince, Doran, uh, ends up finding out that Marcella's dead and then Alaria kills him. Uh, oh, and by the way, um, they also kill Tristane. So everybody's dead. And that horrible woman who no one really cares about is presumably in charge but we don't know because that's where we leave it that's it that's all that's nothing more to talk about there but also uh her dress was really pretty <laughs> <laughs> that was what i took away from that scene was like wow that dress is great but that was it because really like you can just walk up and kill the prince uh yeah when he's as uh as ignorant as he was so hell-bent on peace that he's willing to die for it, literally, because uh, he did. Uh, the blind faith in humans. I would think that, um, you know, maybe your guards would be better than that. Well, That's what I was thinking. Well, now we're actually having a conversation about Dorn, which irritates me. Um, okay, so let's move on then. Well, yeah. No, no, because I, I have to clarify <laughs> things with you. The only of his guards that were on his side were the, the, the really big dude, and he got taken out first. Mm-hmm. All the others just stood by and let it happen. So they were already on on board with the sand snakes. Right. Like I said, maybe you'd have better guards. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I just think that we've seen this guy make the honorable decision repeatedly. And I've even learned by now that honor gets you nowhere in this land. <laughs> Well, messages take a while to get to Dorn. Apparently, it's 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 way, it's way south. <laughs> okay, so um, let's get on with the real story. How about we start at Winterfell? Because mm. Winterfell is a land of majesty. And uh, wait, no, that's not that's not Winterfell anymore. Yeah. Are this we is... doing this in order of hate most to love most? Because it seems <laughs> like that's what we're doing. 
Uh, so we open at Winterfell with Ramsay remembering Miranda. Uh, she's she's passed away, and he's getting angry about it. Like he actually cared for this chick. Um, maybe the only person in the entire in the entire story he really cared about. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't take that away from this. I took away from this that he was that he lost more a toy. angry that something was taken from him. Yeah, that could be. That that could very well be. Uh, now, he ends up talking to Roos, and Roos essentially says, well, if you can't find Sansa, you can't have an heir, and if you can't have an heir, there's no point in leaving things to you, uh, Winterfell and, and all the, the surrounding lands and everything else. So um, that doesn't work out very well for Roos. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not so much because just an episode later, uh, you know, he's trying to act off fatherly and uh, what would you say, kind of temper his brat son's um, eagerness to make war, if you will. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 trying to be a dad uh, in a way, and it doesn't work out for him because. Uh, well, Ramsey's already got plans for Roos. As soon as as soon as the child was a boy, um, it is it, decided that Ramsey's just going to shove a dagger up in, into Roos's heart and make that happen. Nobody has any honor. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, again, are you not supposed to kill your dad? Well, that's twice now we've seen I that. Know happen so this one however kill your dad kill your prince it's getting more frequent <laughs> yeah yeah this one seemed a little bit less justified and more the act of a madman but yeah. you know the the more that they show him the just he's just a monster i mean he's yeah. an absolute monster but i have a hard time taking him seriously unlike Joffrey, who was a monster with power, I feel like, uh, you know, he, Ramsey, is more like kind of a, a lost, spoiled, not even spoiled, but a, a lost little brat who needs to prove himself. A lost little sociopathic brat. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm glad you added that word. Who loves his dogs. Even a sociopath loves something. Yeah, so well, I would and, say it wasn't the girl that he loved. It was it's the dogs. And they ate well in these two episodes mm -hmm. because let's see, they they uh got to feast on um dead Miranda. Mm -hmm. And yep. I think and I wrote down the exact words he said were she's good meat. <laughs> Feed them to the hounds. She's good meat. And then he later then lures Walda and his new baby brother into the cages with the hounds and watches his hounds devour them. So basically, he's getting these dogs used to human flesh. Am I getting that right? <laughs> I I got the opinion that they or I got the uh the 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 feeling that they already were used to human flesh that that was right. maybe even okay. a, their preference. So you're saying they feed on a constant diet of human flesh. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, what happens okay, all, what cool. happens all these skins that happen uh when when people are flayed? Uh I'm just saying there's probably they, they probably go to use. 
Mm. Yeah, it's kind of horrific. And they did a good job of blocking this scene where where Walda and her new son get eaten because you just you see the dogs going at them, you see her trying to protect the baby, and then you hear flesh being torn apart. And and, and it cuts to Ramsey. So yeah. yeah, they're they're it's like they it's like they took that one scene and they're like, Oh, we shouldn't do that anymore. Right. <laughs> right. Right. More illusion, less literal. Okay, good. Um now outside Winterfell we had a couple great scenes where um Sansa and Theon are running away. They're trying to go through and, and this time Theon slash Reek, he's the he's the one with the, some constitution to him and he keeps uh, telling Sansa, we have to go, we have to go, we have to go. Um, eventually they go and hide. Theon tries to play the brave guy when they get caught and uh, distract from from them finding Sansa. Like he's actually, he he has a purpose other than just serving Ramsay, which is mm-hmm. really all he ever needed was just a purpose. Because um, even if you look back at him taking Winterfell and everything else, he was just trying to find a purpose. He wanted to be something more than what he was. Uh, mm-hmm. And um he he goes through and they find Sansa anyway. The, the the Ramsay's soldiers find Sansa anyway with the hounds, and then Brienne comes in. With- Millennium Falcon, you're all clear, kid. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that is such a great analogy. I love that because she swoops in and basically saves them. Yeah, and this is one of the things where okay, so last time we saw Podrick fight. He was barely defending himself, and this time he's actually got enough gumption to take a, cu- a couple offensive swings. He he's not very successful, but he at least he keeps one of the men occupied for a good five minutes while <laughs> while Brienne is over there taking care of everybody else. And then uh, it all finishes up with Theon coming through once again. And the one time that Brienne stumbles, Theon saves her. And now they've they're all happy together again. And you have this this scene where Sansa doesn't even know the words to accept the devotion of a of a knight. So she needs help with with the actual oathing words. And they make it through. And now Brienne is dedicated to Sansa. Yeah, and I, I love, love it. It was very I, yeah. moving. Yeah, it was. And I love seeing the kind of the bonding that they end up doing. Later, you end up seeing Brienne kind of bringing her up to speed on what's going on with Arya. Unfortunately, she's woefully behind in her (laughs) storyline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and this is this is one of those times I think. So when when they have Sansa stumble over the words and she's not sure exactly what to do, but she's trying to be a lady. This is kind of this is Sansa 3.0. And, you know, for first we had the meek Sansa that was just basically trying to follow along madly in love with the king. And then we had the follower Sansa where she's just kind of going with, with Littlefinger and going with Ramsey even to the point of just survival, just trying to make it through, just trying to not die, if you will. And now we have the awakening of Sansa 3.0 where she actually tries to take charge a little bit, even though she has no clue what she's doing. And it really felt genuine. It really felt sincere. Um, I thought the acting was great in this little cove that they have out in the woods, probably in, you know, somewhere in uh, Scandinavia somewhere. Um, 
it just felt like this perfect little scene. It was really awesome. I, it was one of my favorite scenes of this this block of, of episodes. Hmm. All right. Uh, I didn't take that much out of that, but that's, you know, that's what happens when I kind of watch this cold for the first time. And, and I'm not really, I know that she's one of your favorite characters. So you, you kind of well, watch well, and follow her. Now she's getting there. Sansa 3.0 is totally different than Sansa 1.0 and 2.0 and 2.5. Mm-hmm. This is the new Sansa, and this is the Sansa that actually commands a little bit of respect. And she's she's interesting now. She <laughs> <laughs> she's come of age. She's lived through some horrendous crap in in both the places she's ever been, other than home. And now she's actually becoming her own person. And now it's interesting. Now it's good. Now it's now it's Sansa. Yeah, she's yep. been through every fire. Yeah. So the last five seasons of Sansa were like the beta versions for what, what for the character that I actually enjoy. Okay. All right. That's fair. So as we go on, then they're still kind of hiding out, mm-hmm. but we have, uh, this is the scene that I loved because we have a really tender scene between Theon and Sansa where he basically says, you know, there's nothing that I could do to make up for everything that I've done to your family. And, um, you know, but I would, I would take you to the end of the earth if I could and die if I had to. Mm -hmm. And then says, but I, I want to go home. See ya. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm a little bit confused about that part, but like, what is his, why all of a sudden does he have to go home? I don't understand. He's just telling her, well, I would do anything for you, but I'm going to leave you. This is also an acknowledgement that with Brienne there, he's not needed. Yeah. Okay. She's far more capable of defending Sansa and guiding Sansa and, and teaching her than Theon could ever be again because of his condition, his mental state, his physical state. Um, you know, and, and he doesn't want to go back to Winterfell, of course, because that's where Ramsay is. He's not going to go to the wall uh, and, and sacrifice everything just yet. Because, you know, you go to the wall and he's going to be he's going to wear the black for the rest of his life. And who knows what's going on up there? Mm-hmm. Um, so his default is, OK, well, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to go back to my father and my sister and just live out the rest of my days in the comfort of the home that I barely know. So this is and unfortunately, this is one of the, the last real decisions that Theon makes because his life does not get much easier. So. <laughs> He, yeah. Uh, oh, it's not a spoiler. You'll see it I mean, develop. <laughs> the guy has no bits. Like, his life does not get easier. <laughs> okay. Um, for, so, from Winterfell and the surrounding lands, let's cruise on over to King's Landing, where Jamie arrives from Dorne. Uh, Cersei reminisces about Marcella because Cersei has this scene where she sees. Jamie arriving in in port or this little special king's uh almost like a, a king's port like it's a, this one little place where nobody else goes except for the royal family and she sees the the Marcello's body laid to laid to bear mm. and she knows what happened and uh this is this is again she's losing a child the three people in the world she actually cares about 
There's three of them. And then there's, well, three left. Then there's two. And Marcella arrives dead. So now there's just one. There's just Tommen. She has this great line when she's talking with Jamie. And she says, she was good. She was sweet. She was nothing like me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that sense of self-awareness. Yeah. (laughs) Cersei's no delusionist. You got to give her that. Like, she does not have delusions about herself. Like... And I, that's what makes her an admirable character. Jamie also has a great line in this where he's just like, fuck prophecy, fuck this, fuck that, fuck everybody who isn't us. And I was like, all right. It tells you <laughs> where he is at the start of this season. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's coming to a bit of a reckoning as well. So, yeah. Um, then we uh, we cut to Mar- Marjorie, and she's still in a cell, although she seems to be making some headway. Uh, she's she's actually having conversations with this lady that's preaching at her. So, <laughs> I was going to say, what headway is she making exactly? <laughs> she has company now. It's not the company she wants, but you you love the company you keep, right? Uh, <laughs> I call that lady the shame giant. <laughs> very tall and very concerned with shame. Uh, <laughs> yeah is she really tall or is it just that they always show us her from the prisoner's yeah maybe. crouched position i yeah. thought she was kind of tall i was gonna say there's some interesting shots in here there's some interesting uh points of view from the camera um and then we cut and next scene we have king's lady we are out in the common areas down look, looks probably like flea bottom you know the 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 scums area and one guy is bragging about how He's uh, he, he, the queen wants his cock when she was walking down the streets naked. She's all about uh, can I can I get some of that? And, Clearly, and uh, yeah, that's that's exactly where her mindset was at. Uh, it's a it's a right. it's a good story for those who want to want it to be told. And everybody has a good laugh. Then he goes off to take a piss, and well, Franken uh, Franken Mountain ends that. <laughs> uh, clearly, that's he's no longer a character. Uh, yeah, well, you you mean you mean the uh, the drunk who is telling the stories? Yeah, yeah, he's he's dead. Yeah, that was easy. You didn't need that head, did you? Face plant. Um, then we get back to Cersei, and she's not allowed to attend Marcella's funeral because the sparrow won't let her in into the temple, which is kind of weird to start with, and then you learn a little bit about their point of view and it's, you know, she still has more to atone for and it's just odd. It's just, I don't, didn't really care for this part. It's a really weird collection of events here. We end up with Cersei basically feeling like a prisoner because Tommen is trying to protect her by not letting her go to see her daughter and and, and laid in state, whatever you would call it. Right. And then you have this scene where Jamie essentially tries to assert <gasps> himself and he ends up basically, you know, in a position where he's threatening the head of the sparrows 
but he's outflanked because, of course, the stupid Sparrow Colt people are all over the place. Right. And uh, because the, the High Sparrow isn't as stupid as Jamie assumes he is. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and, and he's willing to die for his cause, which is readily apparent when he says, you can kill me, but you won't make it out of here alive. Or, and he, didn't, yeah. he didn't say you won't get out of here alive. He says you won't you won't escape the Lord's justice or something like that. And yeah, um, again, we cut back to Cersei and Tommen is begging Cersei for her forgiveness. Yeah, this is a weird scene. She is decidedly cold. Yes. Toward him. And if you were to read the books, you would see that this is one of the points where a lot of people speculate she begins to lose her grip on reality, like as a total. Um, that doesn't, I don't know if that shows necessarily in, in the show, but in the books, she seems to, um, th- this is kind of like the turning point. Marcella's death is the turning point where Cersei starts to delve into madness, according to one theory. Interesting. So, Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he begs her forgiveness. He asks for her to uh, basically, you know, help him. She needs his help and they embrace and it's just very, very cold there. You know, he's obviously broken. He feels like he has failed. He can't do anything and yep. he needs his mother's comfort and she is just not given it. She is, she is basically, um, She's like, he's going to die anyway. That's what I think. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe she doesn't want to get, let herself be close to him. Yeah. But she's just going through the motions. Um, Put a pin in this moment right here, because in a few episodes, this scene, I, in my opinion, and this isn't one that, uh, that I've seen a lot online or anything else, but in my opinion, this scene plays out to its logical conclusion in, I think like four or five episodes. So, Pin this point because it will come up in conversation again. Okay. All right. All right. Um, and that's it for King's Landing, unless you guys have anything else. Nah. I want to no? talk about the gaspy, gaspy moment. <laughs> well, we still have Marine to go to. Oh, fine. <laughs> come on. There's lots of good stuff in Marine. It, it opens. It, it starts. My favorite second round of Varys and Tyrion conversation. <laughs> if we if we could just get a super cut of these two, uh, oh, I wonder if that exists. You, you guys talk. I'll go find it. <laughs> um, yeah, they they are wandering through Marine and discussing the city and kind of taking jabs at each other at the same time. It's just it. it their, their dance, their uh, their verbal dance is amazing. Every time they're on scene together, they get the point across, and they they never stop jabbing at each other like best friends from from high school or or brothers that haven't seen each other in a while. You know, these two are just a matched pair. They're wonderful together. And we finally see a red priest, uh, a, a male version, not a priestess. You know, that's that's interesting. If nothing else, I. Apparently didn't even notice that. Yeah. Did you not notice that they were subtle. all? Yeah. It, it, well, yeah. Because all the others have been female. Like it's just it's just kind of the way it is, and they set this tone. And other than uh, Thoros of Mir, we haven't had any genuine priests. And well, Thoros wasn't. He was kind of haggardly and, and disheveled. So 
Um, um, they they run across a bunch of people that are running the opposite direction. So, of course, they fight the crowd and get to the docks and find that the entire fleet, Danny's whole fleet of wooden ships, is now a fleet of charcoal chips uh, ships. Yeah, yeah, they that didn't go so well. And I love at the end of that, they kind of look at each other like they both know, hey, we screwed this up somehow. Like we didn't protect the one thing that she wanted. Uh, hmm. No bueno. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Oh, and I forgot. They had this one little scene where they he, uh, Tyrion goes to give some money to a woman who's uh, with a baby who's begging on the streets. And she takes the the the, the marine woman understands his valerian as um i want to give you money so i can eat your baby and, <laughs> and various which i like, guess is a thing that people request <laughs> she's like no um and then varus has to clarify because <laughs> uh yeah uh Tyrion still needs to work on his valerian apparently he's he's missing a, a, a case or he's missing an apostrophe somewhere or, or something <laughs> Well, and it kind of reinforces how they need each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You have more going on between the two of them, right? There's yep. there's additional conversation that, I, and this is where I start to take quotes because I just love some of this stuff that Tyrion's saying. They're basically kind of standing around in the throne room. I don't know what to call this thing, <laughs> and. and Trying to figure out, okay, well, what are they going to do? We have this burnt fleet. We need to somehow control the people. The slavers are basically back in control outside of the city. And how are we going to handle this? And Tyrion suggests that maybe they should release the dragons. I mean, Mm. you know, she has dragons and she's going to expect her dragons to be in good health when she gets back and Apparently, they're not eating now. They miss their mommy. So he's going to go release the dragons. And nobody thinks this is a good idea but him. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, how do you know this? How do you know this is what you should do? And he says, that's what I do. I drink and I know things. (laughs) The If I were going to nail it down, that's the single... The single uh, most quoted line out of this TV show. Um, oh really? Yeah. In in fact, Kent just got a Valentine's present from his girlfriend, and it's a bottle opener that says, "It's what I do. I drink and I know things." So, like this, <laughs> this is this. That's the that's the line, you know. And if you're going to sum up Tyrion in in one phrase, that's it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, I'm glad I wrote it down. Then <laughs> apparently, it's poignant. So <laughs> I I didn't miss that thing. <laughs> So indeed, Tyrion goes in what I think is just an incredible sequence and releases the shackles from the dragons. Yeah, Yeah. dude. Manages to convince them that he is not an enemy, that he is a friend, because if he's a friend, then they'll be loyal. And he does. He he talks of a story of him wanting a dragon as a child. And I mean, it was, a, it was such an amazing, amazing scene. And even better when after releasing one of the shackles, the other dragon kind of 
shocks him by being right there next to him and the other dragons there basically uh mine i want mine yeah. off now yeah. here yeah yeah uh they, the dragons actually show some personality which is good um and then at the end uh as the dragons have done their thing Tyrion walks up to Varys, who's the only person brave enough to accompany him on this little venture. Brave, or 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 he just wants to be the witness, one or the other. Um, and says, uh, Tyrion says, uh, "Remind me next time I have have a thought like that. Remind me not to do it." Like, yeah. actually, I think he says, "Punch me in the face." Yeah. <laughs> now I will say that Tyrion being able to approach the dragons without getting like eaten. In the time that this was released, unleashed just waves and waves of complicated genealogy speculation. Yeah. Because the, really, mm. only Targaryens are supposed to be dragon riders. There are, there is a history of occasional non Targaryenish dragon uh, riders or not pure blood or blibbity blabbity, but um, this was a big moment, not just in how awesome it was, but also in like, well, why can Tyrion do that? Do they smell yeah. mommy on him or is it something else TBD? Yeah, the real theory crafting has begun. Uh, yes. The, the two big theories early for the show uh, have been who was John's, what's John's parentage? Like, who's his mom? And um, why can Tyrion approach the dragons? Those are the two big things that people were madly um, theory crafting. And that continues, actually. Mm-hmm. So, should we um, should we bother mentioning that I think we see Jorah and a, an extremely disheveled Dario for all of maybe I don't know sixty seconds. They're on the hunt. They're That's on- all you got to say about them. They're on the hunt. Yeah. And they find a spot where it looks like a Dothraki horde has circled and they go to the center of the circle. They find her earring and Jorah comes up with the idea. Well, the Dothraki ever. Mm-hmm. And Jorah knows enough about the Dothraki that he knows where they're going. And it's a good setup for the following scene where we see. Daenerys basically being marched by her captors. And then at some point they discover that she is the Khaleesi. How did they not know this? I mean, nobody has photographs. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. They just know that she's a silver haired woman. Um, and they basically he's, he's taunting her about how, you know, right in front of his wives, how he's going to, He's going to rape her and everything else. And she's basically like, you're not going to rape me because I'm, you know, I'm Drogo's wife, Drogo's widow. And they're like, oh, no, we have different plans for you now. Thanks. Right. And that's a little bit disconcerting, too. Right. Like, you don't find out what it just ends there. I I found it a little disconcerting how um, they're very specific that you cannot. It is forbidden to lay with a great calls widow. Not his wife or his wives, but his widow. Once mm-hmm. he dies, they <laughs> become protected women. I mean, I assume not with the wives either. Uh, see, and I assumed otherwise. I assumed like, oh, if he's still alive, they're fair play. But as soon as he dies, now they become cherished. Yeah. Don't you think that that would be 
like a, a challenge if you were to do that? Like, yes. And have you, have you, do you know anything about the Dothraki? Like they seem to love these challenges. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Fair point. Uh, okay. Um, so that's pretty much it for, for the majority of Essos, except for right. a little bit in Bravos with, uh, with Arya. Arya's blind. Here comes the, the mean junior girl who I can't stand. That girl reminds me of like every mean girl in high school who was just like boring right. and mean and smart. Yes. Like that girl is such a type humorless and, 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 you know, it was great character. Like, don't get me wrong, but, and, and a, and a nuanced type of character. Like she's the mean nerd believer. Yeah. She, that's my, she's that's my take. She's necessary for Arya's story arc, but man, the entire time she's on screen, you're just like, I hate that girl. Yep. From the first time you meet her until the last time she, you meet her, you just, you hate her the entire time. And I don't, I don't know if that's uh, the way that they shot it in the, in the, 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 the dialogue that they used, or if it's the girls acting that kind of portrays that and, and embodies that. Or just some combination thereof. But the entire time she's on scene, I hate her. From- yeah. Well, and I don't I like I feel that way, not necessarily because she's a bully, but I get that feeling because it strikes me that she resents mm-hmm. she acts as if she resents Arya being there. Right. Like she hates the young blood. Like, it's not just her job to help test this new girl. More importantly, she just doesn't like that she's there. At least that's the feeling that I get from this. Yeah. And, and this, these episodes don't, don't make that any less so because now she finds Arya begging on the street blind, uh, just hoping for a couple coins here or there, and throws a staff at her and proceeds to beat the crap, up, beat the crap out of her. Twice. Yeah. Twice. We get to see that twice. Um, so Arya is now bloodied and, and broken. Um, and then the uh, Jakar, Jakan or whatever, shows up and says, um, if a girl says her name, I'll give her her food back. If a girl says her name, I'll give her you know she'll, a place to sleep or I'll give her this and that. And then she basically answers with the girl has no name each time. And it's really the first time that Arya passes a test. Like she finally, she finally understands. She finally gets it and she understands that it's a game and she decides to play it the way it's supposed to be played. Well, and the final test, which is what is her biggest issue right now is if a girl says her name, I'll give her her vision back. Yeah. Right. And she says she has no name. And, she and, has no one. And you can see the slightest uh, stumbling in her face. Like she... She really wants to give in to that and right. holds resolute. She's like, I've done, I've done, made it this far. And in the books, I believe this is a much longer journey than just a couple episodes. This is, she's blind for like almost an entire book. So it leads to other things they don't get to in the shows, but she's blind for much longer in the, in the books. Do bad things happen to her? Um, not that I know of. Uh, okay. It's, uh, and we can mention it offline, but. 
Um, yeah, don't. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets spoilery if. Uh, yeah. Well, it gets possibly spoilery if if we start talking about it. Fair enough. Um, okay, so let's get to uh, what do we have left here? We have two side stories left before we get to the meat of this, right? Yeah. We have we have the uh, the the the, the Greyjoys. Yes, and we have. Uh, oh yeah! By the way, uh, Bran. Yeah, he grew up just like that. Well, you know, you notice he was missing the entire last season. All of season five, <laughs> he's gone. It was that puberty part. They didn't want him in. Well, that mm-hmm. puberty that was going on. Yeah, and and that kind of built up a mystique. Like, where has he been this whole time? If you if you followed Bran's story, and you're kind of wondering what's going on, he was gone for an entire season. You know, this which is a year and a half because <laughs> of the shooting schedules. So he's literally gone through puberty. Like, right. The actor has gone through puberty. The character has right. gone through puberty. And, you know, this is the storyline from season four to season six is like two years. It's, it's not a small amount of time. This isn't a couple months like we've been watching the show. It's a significant amount of time. And he's, he growed up. Yeah. And also, it's just like his storyline in that season when he was off was just like, Brandon uh, is going north. Like, I think he goes pretty far north, to be honest. Um, well, that and he spends a lot of time in the life tree warging. So he's learning. You know, we don't we don't want to see people sitting in classrooms learning stuff. You know, we want to see the other action. Well, there's no other yeah. action. There's just him learning. He's exploring. He's learning. He's traveling with with the three eyed raven uh, on the weirwood net. And he's learning all these things from all these different time periods. And we finally catch up back with him when he's starting to learn stuff that's really pertinent to the story. So you guys, yeah, I'm watching I, the dragon scene right now. And it's so <laughs> great. <laughs> Jen, Jenny has gone not from what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, Jenny, Jenny's gone from Jenny who reads the books to Jenny who doesn't watch the doesn't show. Doesn't have time to watch the episodes. She's gone to Jenny who watches the episodes while doing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> This is the high quality uh, uh, summarization you're getting from this podcast. I'll, but I will say that it has, I will say overall that it has gotten to the point of season six and season seven and a little bit of what came before in season five and near the end that um, these are the ones you can't miss. Like these are the ones I want to watch again to be prepared for April. Like I had just recently watched all the early ones, but like, this is just like this is unmissable stuff. Yeah, there's there's so much foreshadowing and and so many storylines that are if you're finally dropping all the storylines that don't matter. You know, yes. like like the pretty much the entire Dorn storyline didn't matter per se uh because it's got some some effects later on, but it, it was easy and tidy to wrap up. Now that's gone. So uh Rob is gone. He's not part of the story anymore. So we're getting all these these tertiary storylines that are just dropping by the wayside and we can get to the real meat of it. And we spend a lot of time uh, exploring the real story, the, the, the story that takes us into the future. Yeah. All right. Well, while this is can't miss stuff, help explain to me why I should care about what's going on at Castle Greyjoy. Um, eventually it matters. It takes a long time to matter. It's just right now, it's just more the punishment of Theon, right? Like the humiliation, the humiliation of Theon Greyjoy continues. 
Yeah, okay, but why? Because he's going to go home and find out that his daddy's dead. I mean, they like this is such a weird thing where you have this scene where 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 old old dad is sounding a little bit senile and not making good sound decisions anymore. His daughter's challenging him. And then the next thing you know, his presumed dead brother shows up and kills him. It was just such a weird sequence of events. It does make you think that it is pointless, but I will say one's patience in this is eventually rewarded. How about that? Yeah. You're on Greyjoy is a, an end game character. Which is his brother, the 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 presumed dead brother that resurfaces. His name is Euron Greyjoy, and he is an endgame character. So okay. so he begins the matter. Although the rest of the stuff is just background for Theon. This is a, a new development, a new storyline that uh, parallels for a little while and then blows up and kind of expands in a fun way. It will get fun. Yeah. All right, can we get oh, okay. to Castle Black? Because holy shnickety. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they had a spinoff of Game of Thrones called Castle Black. Because, like, I could have watched two whole episodes of everything going on here. And, and that's really what's going on is we're almost like watching five, ten shows that all, you know, have crossover. And eventually those shows start whittling down and we just get into, hey, this is, this is Castle Black time. Finally. Um, Okay, so let's start off with ghosts crying out. Um, Everybody, uh, Davos is, he discovers John's body. He knows what happened. So weird, just as a starting point, right? Like everybody, they just had this big, huge thing and, and nobody noticed that this was happening, but John's body is just out there visible from the, like the upper level of this fortress thing. And Oh, there look, Holy crap. I mean, I don't understand how nobody saw that. Well, you, you realize there's no, there was no screaming or anything else going on while John was getting murdered. Like it was, it was fairly hush hush. It seemed pretty late at night. So and everybody's inside because it's cold. Yeah, and now they just left his body. Yeah, there. That's yes. the that's the surprising thing. They just left it there. The left all the evidence there. They felt so confident in what they were doing. They left the sign that says "traitor." They left John's body just laying there in the snow. Um, and Davos finds it. And Davos, of course, as we've discussed before, is never wrong. He knows what's up. He knows what happened. He's he's got a plan already in in his mind. Okay. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it was just it was weird. So he he um you know, he's lying out there, he's dead, Davos finds him. The next thing we know, I well, I have I don't know if this is because they alluded to this in terms of just showing her or not, but at roughly this moment my heart just kind of fell into my stomach mm. as I realized that, holy crap, Melisandre is how he's going to come back to life. It was just crazy obvious from that moment. Yeah. And that that really annoyed me mm. because at this point in the story, I still hate her and I don't understand 
why she's even there. Nowhere else to go. Yeah, she she saw what was going to happen to Stannis and she she abandoned him. Went back to Castle Black because it's the only place that she has any uh, any reputation, if you will. So she goes back there. Um, yeah. Well, technically, she was going back to John. I think. Yeah, I think like, so. I mean, that was my take. Was that she? This lady gravitates. She's pardon my language. She is a king fucker. If there was ever a king fucker, <laughs> because. She is, she is with Stannis because she thinks he has king blood and she achieves all her power that way. And then she good and well knows that Jon Snow is a Stark, uh, at least half a Stark. Uh, and it, it she gravitates to that power. And then he's dead. And that puts her in a mood, if we can cover that real quick. Um, she she gets into a mood. She starts getting sullen and, and sad. She uh, she finds a mirror. She takes off her little oh my god brooch, and you see that she's she's not young. No, no, not by any means. She is an old. It it was almost like a uh, like a, a a Disney scene or something where the the villainous suddenly shows that she's actually like this haggard old witch mm-hmm. or something like it's that. It's basically right. Snow White. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Snow um, White. And this is the point where, Richard, I can mention something to you that me and Jenny had alluded to earlier. Um, anytime you see her performing any sort of magic or any sort of um, miracles or anything in the name of the, the one God, um, her brooch actually glows red. Like it shines brightly red and you mm-hmm. notice in this scene it's almost like they take that took that garnet out of there and they replaced it with uh, onyx like it's completely black mm-hmm. so when she takes it off there's no red shimmer to it in any way shape or form she becomes this old woman again she goes and takes her nap and then a little later she performs such and such a miracle but her brooch is, is back on. However, it never shines while she's doing mm. her prayer over John. Interesting. Ah, so it is interesting. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to allude to that too early because I, I didn't want to give you the, you know, the, 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 the I didn't want to take away from the secret of her being this old lady. So what happens yeah. when she takes off? But now that you know that I can explain, this is the, the, any, if you go back and watch every time she, she does one of her little godly things, it shines brightly red, and when she goes to pray over John, it doesn't shine at all. It's almost like she's not the reason he came up. Yeah, I, I, um, I strongly have theories about this. I guess it's the best thing I can say. Um, which is that it, when she's doing her sexy magic, that is power granted to her specifically to do things in her own body. But I think whatever is happening here is like bigger. Mm. That's all. That's all I'm going with at this point. Okay, so you're kind of you're kind of jumping to the punchline here, but um, uh, you know sh- we we have a couple scenes I think where yeah. we basically see her as a broken woman. Yeah. yeah, and with what I think is amazing and a good testament to her acting skill and the writing is that by 
the end of 602, I really felt for her. Yeah. Yeah. And because you see that she you know, she doesn't believe anymore. What she believed in, she thinks just, you know, isn't real. She doesn't. Davos tries to appeal to her to get her to help with John, and she doesn't think she can be of any help. Right. Also, I would like to give a shout out to Davos Seaworthy in this moment, in this sort of arc, because, man, once again, he proves that he is the grown up in the room. <laughs> like, he's yeah. just immediately like, fuck, this happened. I think I know why. Here's what we're going to do. Ed, go do this. Everybody go do that. And then get the wolf. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> again, Davos is, it has yet to be wrong about any anything. Yeah. Uh, he's he's the one real character in the show that's that's uh, he just he he's all common sense he's all this this innate wisdom on a D and D character sheet he'd have a wisdom of twenty even though he's got an intelligence of five you know he's that character he's <laughs> he's he just he knows innately what's going on and how best to handle the situation and and like you said be a grown up and it's it's wonderful that's why he's one of my favorite characters he he's so underspoken in the beginning but now Richard I think you're starting to see just. Davos is he's he's there. He's the guy. Yeah, he's actually a a really good leader and mm-hmm. absent being a leader, he's an amazing advisor and you've been saying from the beginning that if Davos suggests something do or tells you that this is what you should do, you should do it and that continues to follow through in this episode. Yeah. You know, we have this um kind of uh, horrific situation where uh, uh, Alistair is now kind of leading the uh, you know continued rebellion for some reason like like oh no we're not going to let you have your moment of peace with John for I, I don't know why but they're you know they're hell bent on getting in there and and uh, uh, you know kind of attacking them but. Davos saw ahead and, you know, oh, you know what? There's some people who might be willing to help us out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, th- this goes to initially when when uh, when Davos gets John's body into the room to hide it away. Who does he gather around him? He's only been there a short time. But he knows exactly the four people that were really loyal to John that would be willing to stand up even for his body. You know, they he knows who those people are, and he immediately surrounds himself with those people. And it's just, again, I, I can't say it enough. Davos is the wisest character in this entire show. Mm-hmm. He he gets it. If he was in King's Landing, it'd be a totally different movie, uh, TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, also, yeah. I, I just want to give um, like credit and props. Uh, never mind. Sorry, I'm about to watch the thing happen <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> I completely somehow lost my train of thought. Oh, geez. All right. Well, I, I there, anyway, I think just kind of carrying that thought through, where uh, you know we have someone who would help John that. The the someone's who would help John are the wildlings. Yep. So mm-hmm. uh, I forget who ends up going Ed. off to get the wildlings. Ed. 
Ed. Yeah. All right. One, one, of, one of John's they, oldest friends at Castle Black. And they end up basically coming to the rescue right as Alistair and the men are breaking into the room and you see ghost growling and you figure, okay, it's, it's going to end up being ghost who has to save the day here, but no, the wildlings save the day. And that's kind of amazing. Yeah. And this goes back to how John treated them and that he had faith in them and that he put his trust in them to a degree and they're willing to repay that because they are an honorable people. They're not the, the, the crazy rapers and pillagers that people assume they are, you know, people south of the wall assume they are. They actually have a, a code. They have a belief and they have um, uh, honor to them. It sort of tells you maybe you shouldn't use walls to separate people <laughs> because maybe people are just people. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Strange that yeah, one. That's um that's a good life lesson. Mm-hmm. Um okay, so they come back and uh the, the wildlings basically secure all the mutineers. Um and pretty much they, they secure Which is ev- everyone except for the four <laughs> or five, right? right. I mean <laughs> Well not not everybody not everybody took part in the mutiny, but enough of them were sympathizers and or were just not willing to make a call. They were just willing to let it happen. So essentially, you come out with yeah Ed and the, the 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 short staff of people that are loyal to John, and that's it. Everybody else is locked up. Now I'm curious. I didn't notice what happened to Ollie. I mean, he's just sort of hanging for the moment. He's there. He's yeah. He's locked up. He's locked yeah. up with everybody. Is else. he locked up? Yep. Okay. He's locked up with everyone else. So. Um, then you get, uh, you get Davos finally able to, uh, well, they, 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 they want to burn John's body so that he doesn't rise again or whatever. And he's like, Davos is like, wait, hold on. Let's try something else first. And goes and talks to the red woman. He's so cute. I, I, I so want that to be the lead in quote. <laughs> Before you can, tight, you can do a cold open. The, <laughs> but he's just like, he's doing his like wake up scratchy scratch thing. And I'm just like, buddy, I got like 10 more minutes. Chill out. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> uh, Davos convinces the red woman to try her prayer thing uh, because it's, it's, she's heard it's happened before and she goes to see John. She does all the preparation. She gives him a haircut. She washes his body very similar to the way that the faceless God has his mm-hmm. people do it, um, washing the body and, and, and taking care of the body. And it doesn't work. She does this prayer like three times and it just doesn't work. And she is she goes from this moment of maybe I can be useful to utter and complete disbelief in everything she's held true. And everyone eventually kind of realizes, okay, it didn't work. Yeah. Even Davos, kind of just frustrated by it all. Yep. Leaves the room, closes the door. But you know it's not over. You know it's not over. And Ghost is the first one to notice. Ghost lifts his head, uh, does a little, a, sort of a little whine. And then you cut to John overhead and he's gasping for air. Oh my God. This was like, and even though you knew it was going to happen, you like knew you knew really, it was going to happen. You, you, you got that sense. 
Holy cow. That moment is so powerful. It's powerful with the, the sound on. It's powerful with the sound off. Like, it's just great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, here's the other thing that, that I thought was pretty interesting. Ghost. Basically, Ghost is just laying there. And then Ghost notices that something's different. And he looks up and he looks around. He does this little whine. And then John wakes up. One of the theories is that John was actually in Ghost somehow joined spirits with Ghost, and that uh, mm-hmm. when Ghost wakes up, that is John releasing his the the releasing Ghost's body and going back into his own. Oh, that's so interesting! Like there's be, mm. there's so many theories on this because of the way that they shoot it and the way that there's just no answers. Yeah, and also like. There's another theory, which I feel like I shouldn't say out loud, but all I will say is that there is another theory that the reason why the red woman's magic didn't work is it wasn't her magic, and that's not John. Right. Yeah. It is John. It has all of John's memories. I'm I'm just not going to say anymore, but I'm going to say, like, I feel like in this instance, and I do feel pretty strongly that this is true no matter what, that... The red woman was more less like the magic was flowing through her and more like she was waving up at the powers that be being like, hello, somebody deal with this. And it is yet to be revealed, you know, what happened. But I do like that theory that because look, other members of the Stark family can be wargs. Yep. So why not? And that's where we get into, like, Arya, when she's blind, one of the things that she does in the books that she doesn't do in the show is actually warg into Nymeria and start seeing the world through Nymeria's eyes. Oh, I always wanted, I always wondered about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I always wondered about th- that, that. That's what I was leading, alluding to earlier about her journeys while she's blind, the things that happened to her. Mm. That's part of it. Although that's part of the books that I haven't read. So I, th- this is my recollection of what people have told me. So I can't, uh, can't testify directly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I think it's really I th- just think it's really fascinating like um uh what crazy banana stuff is about to be revealed this season. No spoilers. Now I no, think no. the thing that I am intrigued by is we have two people resurrected now, right? One in in a fashion that a- appears to have just revived the person in their own form. Mm-hmm. And then we have Franken Mountain. Yeah, which is clearly like a like if you were gonna hack a computer but do it really poorly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well and, and there's there's also a third and that goes back to the Brothers Without Banners and Thoros of Mir and all that. Don't forget yeah. he's been resurrected several times. Yeah. Thoros has been re- resurrected. There was a notable character in the book who was re- re- resurrected. resurrected but was not in the TV series, which was like a their first like massive diversion, but probably for the best, to be honest. Yep. Uh, and when this is all over, we'll tell you who it is. Um, but yeah, big deal. It's a big deal. So, so, so now you have one who's been resurrected by pseudoscience, one who's been resurrected by prayer, and one who's been resurrected, shall we say, post-prayer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, final thoughts, Richard. Uh, you knew this was going to happen. You 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 told us last time this is going to happen, but now that it has happened, what do you think? 
uh, I think John needs to get that haircut. That <laughs> he's due. Uh, yeah, I, I, this this was good. This played out quickly, and I really liked that. A lot happened in these two episodes. It's yet another episode pair where the story arc is started in the odd episode and and kind of completed in the uh, even episode uh, or not so much the story arc but it feels like the scene isn't completed until the second episode of this in many cases and uh, i i liked how everything progressed i liked that we didn't have some long drawn out thing with uh, i was going to say rob with john not knowing, you know, what's going on or that they're doing something really screwy there. I'm frustrated by Arya's continued storyline. I, I hope that that plays out and, and pays out at some point in time. I loved how they brought Bran back. And that was just such a surprise. It just felt like it came out of nowhere. And in all honesty, you know, we talked about him aging and everything. For a moment, I thought... Holy crap, did they like recast the role with his brother or something? Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he barely looks like the same kid. And and we didn't really talk about it, but he's basically Bran is going back and revisiting the history of his family. Mm-hmm. At, at the point we catch up to him, he's going back and he's he's seen uh his father as a child learning how to play how to sword play. Um, he meets Lyanna Stark. Uh, she's a little bit uh, older than than Eddard is in in the past history. And then they flash forward a little bit, and they see um, a scene where Eddard is in a fight and would have lost if it hadn't been for Mira, Mira's dad, coming in the last second and saving him. Mm-hmm. So just kind, and also meets one other critical character in the flashback. Willis? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Willis. Yeah, Willis. A.K.A. Hodor. Yeah. Yep. That's a really cool uh, kind of twist, yeah. I think. I, I, I'm i curious to see where they take that, and I hope they explain what happened. I I really... Uh, well, hold your hopes. Um, I really think that... <laughs> hold, hold the hopes. <laughs> um the, the way that they do this, because they, they knew they, and this is part of the, the commentary after the episode, but they knew they needed to do flashbacks, but they didn't want to do flashbacks, flashbacks. They wanted yeah. to do, like they'd already done one with Cersei going back to when she was visiting the witch and the witch gives her her three prophecies. And it was such a quick scene that Richard didn't even realize that was what's going on until later on. Um, right. The... Uh, it, it, they wanted to do flat. They needed needed to do flashbacks to explain some of the story, but they didn't want to do it in a flashback way. So having it do done in the Weirwood net, this this knowledge of everything that's gone on in the world through the through the three eyed Raven is an interesting way to get those flashbacks and to tell the the story and to to develop these characters without doing a direct. Here's uh, previously on Game of Thrones yeah. uh, before yeah, se- it, season it was, season negative four. Uh, this happened, you know, uh, it really ties it in and makes it prescient to the current time as opposed to just being a flashback. Yep. Yep. It was a clever way of using that. It was it was kind of a, a convenient device, but not in a way that seemed gimmicky at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really flowed with the story. Cool. Right. Yeah, I liked it. I I'm excited for this season. We have 
this season and then just the seven episodes of season seven. And wow, we are we are coming up on it. There's only six episodes for the final season, too. That's kind of nuts. But they're all going to be movie movie length. <laughs> I think. So. Are they really? Yeah. yeah. Well, so oh. apparently they have the running times and the first two are supposed to be like a little bit over an hour. So like 70 minutes. And then all the rest of them are 90 to 100 minutes. Mm-hmm. Wow. So okay. it's just going to be like, 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 here's all the stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, um, and we will d- discuss more about that and where season six takes us on this. This is really, man, I I, I know I say this a lot, Richard, but the, the journey has begun. We are really getting into the meat oh, and Oh, you say that every single friggin' time we record. Now it's really getting, I mean, once we got past season three, oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. Now it's really getting, but, but you're right, it is. This is cool. It, this is all good. This is all good. Um, we called hey, the um, herd, so to speak. <laughs> We should we should do some some kind of like you know credits uh, bef- and and brag about our stuff before we get out of here. Yes, um, I desperately want Jenny to brag about her stuff because it is friggin' awesome. Oh, what what stuff? What I do? What oh, I do? Come on, you have a new show to talk about. I do. Do I? Is it the one I'm thinking of involving a, a 79-year-old man? Yes. Yes, that <laughs> it sure one. sure is. Okay. So I'm doing this podcast with my dad. My dad, who was a public radio host for many years and is sort of now kind of old and having a hard time getting around and having a hard time paying for stuff. And it's just sort of an exploration about um, what it's like to grow old and what it's like to be a long-distance daughter of a guy who's growing old. And uh, I call it very old dad. And uh, I have the first episode out, teasers out, first episode's out. Second episode, if it's approved by the Lord himself, uh, will be coming out <laughs> on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe Thursday. And uh, uh, I really like the one that's going to be coming out. So go check out veryolddad.com. You can go subscribe in all the major podcatchers. And um, this one's like really fucking personal. Uh, like I have a panic attack every time I put it out. So that means it's, it's probably at least not dull. Uh, this, your first episode was just stunning. You've put so much effort and so much thought into this and it shows I'm, I'm, this is like NPR caliber show that you're putting out and it is on such a a personal topic for you and something that I think anyone with an aging parent can relate to so, so closely. It just, the show held my heart while I listened to it. Thank you so much. I'm like embarrassed and speechless and grateful. So that's, yeah. A good way to feel after your first episode. <laughs> well, one of the first compliments that, that I ever got about my, my typical podcast, Ritual Misery, was from Richard saying, I can't believe how much personality you guys put into it, how much of yourselves you're willing to put mm-hmm. out there. And Richard is good with compliments. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and this, this show that you're doing now is, it's all of that. There's no fluff. There's no filler. It's It's all personality it's all you and your dad and it's amazing well thank you tell me what you guys are doing let's stop talking about me it's freaking me out <laughs> uh well i just mentioned ritual misery if you're a patron you get a special patron only um interview that i did with jenny about all the things going on in her life 
little mm-hmm. f- 15 minute snippet of uh, goodness that's pretty pretty outstanding actually i've got some really great reviews on it already oh so ritualmisery.com for all the things that i do richard cool cool yeah i uh, i'm over at the digital media zone and I haven't been writing a whole lot since CES, still kind of on my uh, CES recovery right now. And in fact, part of that is getting episodes out. But uh, if you're interested in smart home technology, Home On is the show that I host about DIY smart home tech. And I also do a show about new media. And because I can't get my own shows out on time, I am going to start uh, appearing on another new show That'll be coming out soon where we are talking about connected home and smart home technology. I'm looking at it from the consumer's perspective and my co-host and producer is going to be looking at it from the industry perspective as a product manufacturer. So I think it's going to be a very interesting show. And if you can't get enough of Richard, feel free to stop by the Ritual Misery podcast because he is our most frequent guest appearing on average every 20 episodes. We just did our 200th and we did the math and he's been on 10 times in 200 episodes. Uh, he beats out Tay Allen by, by a few and, and a few other Diamond Club personalities. So Wow. Yeah. Well... Yeah, you know, if if this were the podcast roundtable, I think I'd be do a T-shirt now. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think we've given you T-shirts. You you hush. Uh, it, <laughs> we'll have more banter and lovely conversations and side points next time we get together to talk about thrones. R-A-T-U-A-L-M-I-S-E-L-Y